Controlling the margin on your merchant accounts can be a real challenge as an ISO because you really have one of two options if you're going with traditional technology. You could send a spreadsheet to an agent and say, here's the pricing we recommend, and you could have it unlocked so that they could make whatever changes they want, and they have total flexibility. Well, they may take the pricing all the way down to cost, and there's no profit left, and you don't have any control over that. The other option would be that you could just lock the spreadsheet and say, well, here's the pricing you have to use, but you know there are times where the agent needs to have a little room to negotiate. So what we do at instantquotetool.com is we give you what we call margin control. When we build your programs, we have the pricing there, but we have controls in where we say, here's the default price, here's the minimum, and here's the maximum for each fee. So take a look at that. Go to instantquotetool.com slash podcast. Once you sign up for your free 30-day trial, our team will reach out to you and do a demo, and they can show you and even set this up for you how to have margin control so that your agents can have flexibility, but not so much flexibility that they end up damaging the margin on these accounts for themselves and for your company. All right, everybody. I am here today with Kyle Dove, the CEO of Paytech. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing really well, James. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today and uh, talking to us about cash discounting and point of sale systems. Um, before we dive into that, though, we like to get a little backstory. So maybe you could tell us, Kyle, kind of what's the story? How did you end up in the payment space and then end up starting Paytech? Sure, sure. So uh, I actually uh, I started in the payment space back in 2006. I was uh, I answered an ad probably like a lot of people do. And I showed up to an interview, and I was hired on the spot and started working out of a uh, small call center in eastern Washington. Wow. Um, I quickly, yeah, I quickly realized the, uh, the opportunity, and uh, sure. I, I, I became ex- very excited about the business. Awesome. And then you kind of went, how long ago did you start, or I don't know if you even started, or now you're running Paytech. What's the, what's the company story? How long has that been around? So Paytech was actually an acquisition, okay. and so the the company, um, the prior company that we acquired was actually called GRS Way. Okay. Um, and so they specialized in point of sale and for uh, several different verticals. So they specialized in point of sale for grocery verticals, and they specialized in point of sale for um, seed store and quick service restaurants. And so, you know, over the last year, we've completed the acquisition of GRS, and that's uh, how Paytech was born. Sure. Okay, great. Awesome. So, so give us kind of, a, you talked a little bit about it there, but give us kind of the elevator pitch for Paytech. I mean, you know, from the merchants, we'll get to the ISOs and agents, but as far as from the merchants' perspective, you know, obviously there's a lot of different point-of-sale systems out there today. What's the unique value proposition for Paytech for a merchant? So the unique value proposition for Paytech for a merchant is going to be um, the ease of use and the fact that we deploy everything plug and play. We we actually include uh, videos that are uh, demonstration videos in the deployment packet um, showing the merchant that That's we've already idea. loaded the venue, we've tested everything. And so when the uh, installation occurs, we help install the system. Typically, we can do that over the phone. And it cuts down on a lot of the, um, the issues that you have with 
point of sale systems not being installed, which which uh, I see a lot of. So. Oh, absolutely. So so if I hear what you're saying right, you're, what you're saying, Kyle, is that when you know a, a new merchant signs up, rather than shipping them a bunch of you know random hardware pieces that they have to plug in and figure out, and then they have to load stuff, you're trying to do as much of that as you can, kind of from the home office of creating that menu or loading in what they need loaded in, and then you're sending it out to them, basically ready for them to just plug the thing in and it's ready for them to start using it for their business. That's correct. And we actually, um, we have significant contact with the merchant prior to actually deploying the system. Sure. And so we go through, we go through a checking process to make sure that we've loaded the menu properly. So we review that with the merchant prior to sending it out as well. Now you mentioned, uh, menus, which of course are like for restaurants, um, are, you know, is that the primary vertical? You also mentioned C stores a little bit ago and grocery. Like, are there certain verticals you guys are targeting more so than others? So we have a software application for each vertical. And um, so uniquely, we were able to specialize in each one. So we can really be a full solutions provider for the ISOs and the Asians out there. Okay. Because of our ability to service each one of those uh, industry segments. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Um, so, and when you say these are in verticals, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, you know, you mentioned restaurant, C-store, grocery. Are we also, you guys also do retail, like traditional, like clothing retail or specialty retail shops? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Cool. All right. Awesome. Um, okay. So I have to give a little backstory here, Kyle, because, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the way that you and I got connected is I had put a video up on LinkedIn a, a while back about um, the new cash discounting kind of rules that came out from Visa. And I was talking about how somebody needs to create a, a POS system that's actually compliant, meaning that, you know, it lists the, the discount uh, or it lists the, uh, the price increase fee on every receipt, cash and credit, and then it lists the cash discount discount only on the cash sales. And then I believe we started a conversation from that because you're like, hello, James, we already have that. I mean, is that an accurate description? And maybe you can tell a little bit more about that. That's the way that I remember it. Um, (laughs) If you you remember, we connected a few years back when you first uh, started with your your new new business at the time. No, that's uh, right. Yeah, I I forgot about that. And I referred you to them to uh, getting data and stuff. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, I remember that now. That's cool. Well, okay, so talk about the cash discounting a little bit. So obviously a really hot topic right now. How exactly sure. do you guys handle cash discounting? What do you? How do you see this playing out in 2019 as far as compliance and, and issues like that? So as far as compliance goes, I'm not an attorney. So sure, I, of course. the only thing I can do is comment on facts. And so I guess that's, that's what I will do. Um, as far as, you know, compliance is all about disclosure and making sure that the merchant is aware of exactly what they're buying and what they're getting and what they're promoting to their customers. Um, you know, I recently, I read the, uh, the visa core rules, uh, section 1.5.4.12, which specifically addresses, and this is the October 2018 release. Sure. It specifically addresses the discount offer in the U.S. region. And um, the way that it describes it is in the U.S., um, a merchant may request or encourage a cardholder to use a means of payment other than a Visa card or Visa or, or a different type of product um, or a different payment option. And it goes up, and that's, so those are for the merchant requirements. Right. So for the acquirers, it says that acquirers cannot prohibit merchants from, so this is 1.5.4.14, incentive 
to use other payment method. And then you have 1.5.4.13, which is acquire requirements, discount at the point of sale. And it specifically states that um, in the U.S. territory, an acquirer must not adopt, maintain, or enforce any rule, including any bylaw policy standard guideline or practice, or enter into or enforce any agreement that directly or indirectly prohibits, prevents, or restrains its merchants from requesting or encouraging a cardholder to use a means of payment other than a Visa card um, at the point of sale. Hmm. So, so, and I'm paraphrasing at the end there. Right, sure. Um, but, but essentially it's saying that acquirers cannot prohibit or prevent merchants from offering a discount at the point of sale. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what our system is capable of doing. And that's at the, you know, at the merchant's discretion, of course, um, we are able to set it up so that when a sale occurs, a discount, or I'm sorry, a service charge is added on every single item, whether it's cash, whether it's credit, the payment type does not matter. And uh, based on based on my knowledge and speaking with uh, our compliance attorney, that is what makes the program compliant. Is right. the fact that it's disclosed clearly and prominently um, at every point of entry. Uh, we even pr- we have the ability to provide menu boards, which is another unique uh, piece of our software. Mm. So we get, we could technically you know show a cash price and a credit card price like some of the liquor stores do here in Texas. I'm not right. sure if you've seen that or not. Oh yeah, absolutely, sure. Um, so you know we have the ability to do these these things that are already recognized. Um, in every state as being a compliant process. Yeah, and I think even to break it down further, Kyle, it's like, you know, the way it's done a lot of times in the industry and what we've been talking about a lot on, you know, I've been talking about in my videos is like, if you got a receipt, you know, from let's say a, a just a, you know, normal processing company where they got a VX520 in there, you know, what happens is if you look at a receipt from the, when the the consumer buys with, you know, pays cash, um, you would see nothing on there. You wouldn't see a service fee. You wouldn't see a cash discount. If you look at a, a receipt that is a credit card or check card transaction, those have just a service fee on them. And so if that was all the data you had to look Look at, or Visa was looking at that, or they got a complaint from a consumer. You know that looks really like a surcharge because you're only it adding, does, yeah. right? You're only adding something. It's only one thing. But what your system does, if I'm hearing you right, is if you look at a cash receipt or a credit card or check card receipt. Any receipt you look at, if somebody's buying a widget, there's always going to be that service fee there. But then separate from that, when they pay with cash and only when they pay with cash, you're then going to see a separate line item that says cash discount. And so the service fee is being added to everything as a price increase. And then you have the the cash discount as a separate line item. Is that is that basically what you're saying? That's exactly that's exactly correct. That's how it works, and they're able to see it in the back end portal, and obviously it prints out on the receipts. It displays on both the customer facing screen and the uh, I'm sorry, the client facing screen, so the consumer facing screen and the merchant facing screen, right. making it easy making it easy for the merchant to provide 
verbal disclosure as well at the checkout. Sure. And so Kyle and I are both using our disclaimers today that neither of us are attorneys and we're not providing legal advice, et cetera, et cetera. But, right. you know, kind of the, the key idea here is if we're adding the service fee onto all the transactions, it becomes very difficult for Visa or anybody else to say, well, that's a surcharge. Well, how can it be a surcharge if it's added onto every single transaction across the board? It's, you know, that's not what it is. It's a price increase. Um, and so that's what hopefully makes it, uh, you know, what our attorneys and people are saying is, is more of a compliant situation so, there with visa rules. I, I will add to that. I, I would add that, you know, a, a really strong argument in my opinion, and I'm not an attorney would be, so if, if you can't do that, then how can you do a gratuity charge at a hospitality establishment? Exactly. Because True. There's, there's, there's really no difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of precedent for different fees that are added on and, and, you know, different things where you can't say, I mean, there's just no, you know, it's almost like it's out of the purview of Visa, in my opinion, because there, it, you know, to me, Visa ha- can't possibly have anything to do with a fee that's being charged to everybody on everything. How could that have anything to do with Visa? Right. You know, and right. then, and, and the cash discount, I mean, all that language, you know, that you, you read from the Visa rules, we both know why Visa has that there, right? They added that because of the Durban Amendment, which clearly states what you just said, which is, you know, they're not allowed to prohibit a merchant from offering a cash discount. So the cash discount itself, no one's ever debated that. Clearly, that's legal and compliant. I mean, it clearly states that in the Durban Amendment federally, uh, mandating the ability for a merchant to do a cash discount. The only thing that's been in kind of jeopardy is adding the service fee before the discount. Is that a surcharge? or is it a true kind of price increase or service fee across the board? And the way well, you guys are doing well, it would, clarifies what that. I would, what I would say is, and again, we've already given the disclosure, so everybody knows we're not attorneys. Right. <laughs> but um, based, on, based on, you know, my conversations with counsel, uh, a business, uh, an independent business in the United States is free to charge for service if they want to charge for service. Right. And that can be a separate line item Right. Any transaction, as long as it's not discriminatory and it's charged on all transactions, they're simply just charging an additional service charge for their service. Right. I mean, they could literally say this is our this is our charge for ringing you up or this is our charge. You know, there's delivery fees. You know, there's a, a lot of different things like that. Right. Well, here's the other thing is a lot of things are moving to online right. commerce. And so, you know, it, it, it again, it supports the fact that. If you're going to run a retail establishment, you're providing additional hands-on service to the client, which an e-commerce uh, dropship business does not have to provide. Right. And there's no reason that you should not be able to, to charge for a service fee and offer a discount, as it says in the visa rules, for a different means of payment, sure. whether it be cash or something else. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. So, uh, so very interesting stuff. Um, you know, I want to I want to transition a little bit now and talk about ISOs and agents. Um, you know, obviously this is a time where you know both ISOs and agents are looking for technology solutions that they can you know add value to the merchants, uh, give a better kind of opening pitch and connect with them and provide better service and stuff. So, can you talk a little bit about you know we've talked about why a merchant would want to use your system. Why would an ISO or a, an agent want to resell? Uh, you know, your POS system? What's the pitch to them? So, in my opinion, one of the value propositions that's really exciting, James, about our system is the fact that uh, when we work with an agent or an ISO, we register them. Um, we're happy to do sub-agent registrations as well. And if, if they register all their sub-agents, then there's no chance of circumvention issues and things that a lot of ISOs worry about. Sure. And on top of that, everybody... 
um, that we work with, agents and ISOs alike, part of our licensing process when we license a system prior to it being deployed is we license it in several ways. We license it to the ISO or the agent's MID. So that MID becomes tied to that license, and that license is tied to the hardware. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it cannot be reprogrammed or resold um, without, you know, a lot of effort and essentially the merchant would have to pay more than the cost of just buying a new system. Right. So right. it makes that very sticky and it sure. protects the, it, it protects the deal for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think and, that's, that's super important. And the reason we decided to do that, James, is because what we, what we see is we see a lot of, uh, I don't know if you, if you agree with this, but we see that merchants a lot of times will switch just because somebody else came in and impulsed them to do so. Right. And right. it's not always the best decision for the merchant because most of the time, I think it's true that most agents and ISOs are willing to provide a um, meter B sure. price match. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then why else would you switch unless somebody has a better technology? Right. So if you have the technology and you have the ability to match the pricing and then you have a tool to keep that merchant from switching, then right. ultimately you're going to have a stickier portfolio. Yeah, just putting those just putting those barriers in their path to switching, you know, usually if you just put a few barriers in the path, the, the agent or ISO is usually able to kind of jump in and say, oh, hold on a second, you know, they, they gave you $10 less a month. Well, we'll do $10 less a month or whatever, right? Right, yeah, exactly. And then it's, it, it diminishes the agent's value. And um, anyways, I, I, I truly hope that, you know, other folks – catch on to the technology play and start offering a system, whether it's ours or another one, and um, realize the value that these, these point-of-sale systems, if done right, can add to the business. They can truly make the business a lot more efficient. Yeah, that's it's, what we intend to do. It's really about leveraging technology to, to enhance the relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Which takes it a different conversation. Oh, yeah. I think totally changed. What sure. They're used to having. Right. Well, I think I think even just the, the way that you guys do the like you mentioned earlier about trying to get a lot of things done before you ship the uh, hardware out. I mean, just that alone is a, actually a pretty big difference, I think, for the agents. And, and it kind of leads me to one other question I was thinking about. I mean, what role, you know, do these agents and ISOs and resellers play in this process? I mean, do you do you have some ISOs that are basically just sending you like a referral of, you know, hey, we have this person that needs a point of sale system. And then you have a team that kind of runs with that. Or are you looking more for partners that are going to become you know, much more, they're going to dive a lot deeper and really understand your system to, to close those deals and to get everything going. You know what I mean? Like what kind of role do you prefer? Or do you have kind of both? We have both options. And, and frankly, our system was, uh, our, our process on the backside was set up to accommodate and be flexible. Sure. And the way that we do that, like I said, is number one, we have, uh, we have a pretty intuitive, you know, ordering process, sure. which includes, you know, an application to what they're similar to filling out for a merchant account, but it's for the point of sale system. Right. And so they can easily go through this with their merchant application and it, it's, um, it provides photos and a catalog and, and it's easy for them to, you know, show the benefits of the point of sale based on our application that we provide. Hmm. And so we've, we've found that, you know, agents are having, are finding it easy to sign merchants up because the application process is similar to what they're used to. Hmm. 
Now, is just out of curiosity, is you said that both models is there a, is there a model that's more prevalent than than another, or more successful, no, or more successful? I, 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 we're just flexible, so we don't even define, but we don't differentiate between the two. Sure. Okay. Um, we, we do find that uh, you know the agents and the ISOs that see the value in providing a software as a solution mm-hmm. and and getting involved in actually selling that value. Um, they, they, they do very well. Uh-huh. And so sure. we always try to encourage the agents and ISOs to get involved as much as possible. And, and part of our you know, process is engaging them. So right. we try to get them to be at the installation. And right. as, long as, as long as they're at the installation, then you know, there's an additional incentive that they get for doing that. And that by being there, they naturally learn what the benefits are. And sure. you know, they see the difference of setting up a point of sale on the terminal. And it's a big difference because now you have a system that the merchant can actually manage other functions of their business. They can manage their warehouse, their shipping, their receiving. We have mobile applications where, um, you know, a, uh, a receiver can check things in as orders are coming in the back door and the inventory is popping up in the point of sale system. Uh, we also have online ordering, which is integrated with our point of sale system as well. So we can build out the menu or the item file if it's a retail store. And then we can also build out that e-commerce platform um, at the same time because of the way we've built our software, they're both integrated. So it's just a flip of a switch to get that e-commerce store. And mm. it's a progressive web app as well when, when, when we do it that way. Mm. Wow, yeah, and it's like, it's so interesting, Kyle, because to me, there's so many you know different rabbit trails to go down with this. And you know we could talk about it forever, but I think to me, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, you can look at each of these different verticals and with each vertical, there's like one or two or three hot buttons. You know, you go into a retail store. I used to love going into retail stores and asking them the question, you know, walk me through your current inventory process. How do you decide what to reorder? What do you do when it gets here? Like, talk me through that, mm-hmm. you know? And it was right. like, yeah. well, we, we go in the back and pull out one of our legal pads, you know, and you're like, oh boy, yeah. Here, yeah. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. And, and, and even a lot of times they have a point of sale system and no one ever really tries train them on how to integrate the their their business processes into that system um and you know there's hot button issues like that like you said for restaurant for c-store for grocery like every vertical has these hot buttons and as an agent out in the field you know you don't have to become a computer programmer to sell the stuff but it's you need to know what kind of these big hot button issues are to kind of present to grab their attention to then direct them to you know the right uh you know the right technology solution absolutely and and so that's one of the value props that they get with you know, that the agents and the ISOs sure. will, will have with us. We awesome. also do, uh, uh, we do scales and we, so we're, we're in a lot of grocery stores Sure. and we do deli scales. We do, uh, their bakery scales. Right. Uh, sure. We have the ability also to do, uh, the Nutrifacts, which are, you know, that's a compliance thing for grocery. So mm-hmm. if, you know, anybody has any grocery merchants, uh, it's unique to find a POS system and a provider that is right. confident and knows, and that is something that we that we can excel at. That's awesome. Well, Kyle, it's been really interesting. Lots of really good information. I'm sure a lot of people listening, agents, uh, ISOs are, you know, potentially interested. They want to learn more about partnering with you guys, reselling the, uh, you know, the hardware and the software. Where would you send them to learn more and to potentially inquire about partnering with you guys? So I would send them to our website. And um, that's uh, www.paayt 
com, and they can click on the catalog and the catalog will um, show all of our products and services and pricing and that's the MSRP price that you'll see not the actual ISO or reseller price sure so in order to get the uh, in order to get those reseller prices I would have I would have folks uh, send an email to sales at P-A-A-Y-Y central C-E-N-T-R-A-L dot com and uh, we will be standing by looking and ready to help folks with their point of sale orders. Awesome. We'll make sure we put those uh, emails and stuff in the in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, for sure so everybody can get that. So, well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, really interesting and I just appreciate you sharing all this information with us today. Very enlightening. Thank the you, Kyle. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great day, Kyle. Bye. Have a great day. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. You know, we touched on this topic last month, but I just completed a lead story for the Green Sheet on merchant services for cannabis businesses and wanted to share some highlights from that reporting. Retail establishments specializing in marijuana and related cannabis products are expected to ring up $11 billion in sales this year. These are the legal ones. All right. Not the illegal. Now, that's on par with the yearly spend on movie tickets and pampers individually. And as a new father, I think you can appreciate that. I put that one in there for you (laughs) specifically. (laughs) But unlike movie tickets and pampers, most legal sales of pot, CBD oils, and even industrial hemp products are paid by cash. That's because despite laws in 30 states and the District of Columbia sanctioning medicinal and or recreational uses of cannabis, federal law classifies cannabis products as Schedule I drugs under the Controlled Substances Act, which puts it on par with heroin. And as long as cannabis remains illegal under federal law, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and the Discover say businesses selling cannabis products remain off-limits under their rules. Now, in addition to 30 states that have legalized cannabis, 16 states have also legalized sales of CBD products. CBD, which is short, shorthand for cannabidiol, is a compound that coexists with THC, which is the component that gets the user high. And uh, CBD has been shown to be effective in treating assorted maladies, including PTSD, pain, and epilepsy. CBD products can be um, sold and used in various forms, including tinctures, lotions, mists, infused drinks and candies, and, and vape pens. Now, there are at least 20 bills pending in Congress right now that would ease federal cannabis prohibition. And there's polling that shows strong voter support for loosening these prohibitions. An April Quinnipiac University poll, for example, revealed that 63% of American adults support nationwide legalization of marijuana, the highest level of support ever measured, and a whopping 70% oppose enforcement of federal prohibitions in states that have legalized medicinal or recreational uses of cannabis. Nonetheless, no one really expects any of these bills to gain approvals, particularly in what is now a lame duck Congress. So absent changes in federal law and card brand rules, Several merchant services providers have developed workarounds. Now, some early entrants focused on offshore solutions, but these have a lot of disadvantages. Hmm. 
There are also some unscrupulous agents that have been known to apply inaccurate merchant category codes to cannabis businesses. Now, the obvious problem with this tactic is that when the acquiring bank catches on, and they will eventually, they will immediately shut down the account and freeze the funds. And they could also put the business um, at risk of being accused of fraud. Right, sure. Which is, you know. Now, at this point, it's worth emphasizing that the card brand prohibitions against cannabis sales apply equally to CBD as well as to hemp products like hemp clothing. You know, even if they are otherwise traditional retail merchants, a merchant selling CBD or hemp products can be problematic. Acquirers have been known to shut down the accounts of these merchants as well as those selling outright cannabis products. Now, as I was preparing for this report, I did receive news that Elevon is now accepting applications from CBD and hemp merchants. So I suspect that this is a movement that we can see more sure. action on, particularly in the coming year or two. Now, whenever there's money to be made, our industry usually finds a way to they make it. They find a way to make it, don't <laughs> they? Now, where I'm seeing the greatest focus these days in merchant services is on debit-oriented solutions for companies that sell cannabis and CBD and hemp products. One common model employs what are called cashless ATMs, also known as point-of-banking point systems. And I think we discussed this a few weeks ago. Yeah, with, with uh, um, John Steve? Beebe or, or was John. It Steve? Yeah, it was I think John. It was, I think it was John, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, a cashless ATM allows consumers to use their debit or credit cards as though they were accessing cash from an ATM. Merchants display signage indicating that they accept credit and debit cards but make no references to the card brands. Since ATMs do not dispense coins or generally dollar bills, you know, $1 bills, transactions typically get rounded up to the nearest $5 increment, and customers receive the difference back as change. Now, a key merchant benefit is that they get to assess uh, convenience fees, just as they would on transactions sure. from freestanding ATMs. Where the process gets complicated, of course, is in, the e is in e-commerce environments. Right. Another solution gaining momentum utilizes the concept of decoupled debit. Decoupled debit card accounts are commonly issued by retailers. Think in terms of Target's red card. Cardholders authorize issuers to debit their checking accounts through the ACH network. There's a company called CanPay that was the first to the market with such a solution. Mm -hmm. And it's even developed a mobile app that can be used both for online and in-person payments to cannabis shops. Sure. There's a lot in some of these states that have approved um, um, medicinal and recreational uses that uh, do home deliveries, just like drugstores would do. Hmm. Um, but um, anyway, so the decoupled, you know, debit is an interesting. I'm really concept. familiar with CanPay. Actually, uh, we had talked to them a long time ago about uh, we had an ISO of like paying our agents. Where mm -hmm. like we would have like the CC Sales Pro card, and you know, like you you get paid on that. And right. so it is really it's basically like. Visa, it's just it's its own little network. It's its own little network. It's yeah. its own little debit, debit mm -hmm. network. And it's very cool. I mean, it's yeah. you know, they're taking something like somebody like Target is mm -hmm. proven successful, and sure. they're finding another way. And what I thought was interesting about CanPay, I talked to them recently, and, and they talked about, look, we're, we're you know mostly not going through ISOs right now, but that's right. something we do anticipate. It's right, just right. we're waiting for everything. Also, their, their name turned out to be rather uh, rather fortunate when going after the cannabis industry. Wasn't it? CanPay. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> So while there may be opportunities for converting this cash-laden cannabis business to card acceptance, it's not going to be an easy sell. 
One ISO told me that it takes at least three to four weeks to sell and board a cannabis or CBD business. There are also a lot of underwriting and risk assessment steps. As one, as one ISO put it, if you're not good with pay paperwork, stay away from this business. Right. Yeah, definitely. But I do suspect in the not-too-distant future, many acquirers, ISOs, and MLSs will be making plays for this emerging high-risk vertical, uh, as uh, Elevon has already shown. Sure. And I mean, I would imagine that this isn't really that high risk of a business in terms of an underwriting perspective. No. Uh, it's more of the reputational thing and, and well, that, that side of it, right? It's it's mostly about, um, you know, there's a set of rules and I didn't want to get into all the, well, of course. the nitty gritty, but uh, the Treasury Department through the Financial Crimes Enforcement right, Network right. and the Department of Justice have issued guidelines that say, OK, um, if your state says it's OK to do this, right, you can thank these people. But here are all the requirements. There's stepped-up risk assessments. Sure. There's, um, you know, currency transaction and suspicious activity reporting. Sure. Um, Which really, I feel like a lot of that, I mean, it's not like, um, you know, drugstores, I imagine, have a good bit of that that goes into being able exactly. to offer, you know, uh, pain medications. And, exactly. You know, a lot of that stuff is already kind of, uh, you know, being over overused, and that's mm -hmm. where you get a lot of overdoses and things. So, sure. I, you know, I think some of, to me, I feel like a lot of that's justified. And, I, you know, obviously you and I are on different ends of the spectrum with this issue, but... Um, you know, I, I feel like it's an area where our industry is going to, like I said, they're going to find a way to make the money off of it. And I think over time, I mean, you know, I think public opinion has already swung far enough that very soon, you know, uh, if not even in this next Congress, I wouldn't be surprised if in this next Congress there isn't some Some kind of some loosening. Yeah. yeah. And and one of the things I often say to people, um, you know, in Canada, they just legalized nationwide recreational uses. Mm -hmm. And I was reading in the Wall Street Journal about a day or two after that became law up there that Walmart was looking into selling CBD products in its Canadian stores. Hmm. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that if Walmart's considering doing it in its Canadian stores, right. it's not going to be long before it comes in. And I cannot believe Visa or MasterCard saying, no, Walmart, right. we're <laughs> going to yank your card acceptance. Right, right. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how things go. I think, again, I, I think it's one of those things where it's been kind of a fringe thing where, you know, mainstream companies didn't really want to get their name on it as much, just right. from a reputational issue. Sure. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's really stunted the growth because, you know, things happen in politics based on influence. And right now they just, CBD just hasn't had the backing to make right. something but happen. But that's where the explosive growth is really, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that's going to double. And, you know, and here's another thing that was interesting. When I was doing this uh, reporting for the uh, Green Sheet, um, I talked to more than one ISO who said, look, I'll tell you what I'm doing, but I don't want you mentioning my name. Right. Because the banks are still so scared of this. Yeah. That what happens is if, you know, one ISO is boarding, um, you know, these cannabis businesses and mm -hmm. then some other ISOs hear about it, then they start going to that bank. And then right. once that bank has more than just a couple of customers, well, then sure. the regulators start perking up and taking right. closer because more than anything else in business in banking this is a part of banking where you really need to know your customers yeah definitely you hmm. know that has to be legitimate businesses that you're dealing sure with. yeah very interesting i know there's a lot of interest in this topic so hopefully this will be some good information to share with people and they'll start to continue to kind of have it on the radar screen and learn yeah, more about it i think it's worth having on your radar screen for sure definitely thanks patty mm -hmm. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system 
to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. To network or not to network? That, that is, is the question. question. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I talk a lot with agents who are <clears throat> expert networkers. Mm -hmm. And that can be a really good thing. Sure. Um, it can also be a colossal waste of time. And so I want to talk a little bit about this today and how you can do networking in a way to make money. So just to be clear, when we're talking about networking, we're talking about things like the BNI group, um, you know, your local small business chamber, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things like this, where you're making these connections. <clears throat> and, you know, there's a couple things about it that I think are really important to understand. You know, first of all, networking events should not replace your prospecting efforts. You still want to go prospecting. Now, what they should do is they should enhance your prospecting. Let me give you an example. I talked to an agent recently that's all about networking. And, um, you know, what I talked to her about was I said, you know, when you go into these businesses, why don't you bring that up? Invite them to your group. Mm -hmm. So when you walk in, instead of saying, hi, I'm here to sell you credit card processing services, you could say, hi, the reason I stopped by is I'm a member of the local BNI group. And we don't have anybody in there right now that's a pizza shop owner. And I thought you might be interested in joining and, you know, we could kind of talk more about that. And we meet on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Would you have any interest in doing that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether they say yes or no, you've started a conversation on a basis of mutual interest. Sure. Rather than what I want, you know. And they may be a little bit more receptive at this point to talk about what you do. And maybe they say, well, I, I really don't have time. I can't, you know, with my business, that doesn't really work. Well, that's fine. You know what? I, I just like to network and I love to stay in connection. So, um, you know, let me tell you what I do. And then let me hear a little more about your business and see if maybe there's some synergies and things we could do together. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a great way to open the conversation. Um, the other thing I would say is when you're actually at these, you know, networking events, I've never been a huge networker, Patty, honestly. Uh -huh. um, I, I like to network one-on-one um, -on -one with people, but I've never been a big networking event. So I've gotten this advice from talking to dozens of agents who have been really successful at this. And what they tell me is that when you go to these networking events, you have to have a plan and kind of a customer path or journey to get somebody from meeting them to qualifying them to closing them. Sure. You know, and so just like in any other sales effort, you have to have a roadmap. And so what I've heard from these agents that are really good at, at uh, the networking events is that, you know, they approach these networking events where it's not like just some casual, oh, cool, I'm going to hang out with other business owners for an hour and that's going to somehow magically be profitable. Um, instead, they approach it very specifically. They have, a, you know, a CRM that they have a list of all the members and they know uh -huh. what stage each of those members is at. Are they have you had a good con conversation with them yet? Did you qualify them? Are they somebody what you would like to sell? And then number three, where are you at in that sales process? Mm -hmm. So having it kind of structured to make sure that you're following up and, and doing things the right way. So the big two tips I want to give you today about networking is, yes, you should be networking. That's great. But networking, don't trick yourself into feeling like just hanging out with business owners for a little bit of time here and there that either that, that, that should never replace your prospecting. 
and don't feel like you're going to be successful totally based off of this just you know ambiguous activity that you're conducting with these business owners. Right, right. So have a plan for the pro- for the the networking events to bring people through a path to closing them, and get out in the field or on the phone and do your prospecting. But leverage the fact that you're a networker to get better introductions and to get better conversations with people. Mm-hmm. But don't look at it as uh, you know a, a cure all for all of your right. Sales it can't goals. be the be all and end all. Right. right. You still got to go prospecting. You still got to put the work in. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.